0: Hi, this is Susie Rigdon, manager of Fall for the Book, a literary arts nonprofit and festival based here at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. Our 20th anniversary festival will be October 10th through 13th, 2018, at Mason and around Northern Virginia. For more information on the festival and to sign up for our newsletter, visit our website at fallforthebook.org. We're pleased to be hosting this episode of Mason Out Loud and particularly excited about our guest, New York Times best-selling author Chloe Benjamin. Her newest novel, The Immortalist, follows the four gold children, Simon, Clara, Daniel, and Varia, asking the question, if you knew the date of your death, how would you live your life? Benjamin was the featured author for Fall for the Books annual spring reading on Friday, April 6th at Mason. Welcome, Chloe. Thanks so much, I'm so happy to be here. So The Immortalist has gotten a lot of really positive coverage, and I know you've had a whirlwind book tour. Have you received any reactions that surprised you or made you consider your work in a
1: slightly different way? I love that question. I think I've been struck by just the intensity of reaction, thankfully mostly positive, although when people seem to not like a certain part of the book, they really don't like it. <laughs> and I don't know if that's because the characters do things that are really frustrating. Like I think sometimes people want to say, no, don't do that, yeah. or they like they get mad at the characters or they feel like they made the wrong choices. But I think that's how life is. We don't always make the right ones. So I, in general, I'm thrilled that it seems to be evoking a really emotional reaction in people, whether That's either end of the spectrum.
0: Yeah, and I think that's kind of a reality of the book. You know, I don't think this is a spoiler, but there's a line about, you know, you make your choices and then your choices make choices. Mm -hmm. And having to live with those choices and see what
1: happens, that can be hard to do. Yeah, and I think we also live in a time when people are able to shout their opinions from the rooftops. and. We all have strong feelings, and so for me, it's been a process of trying to figure out how much of that do I take in and seek out, and then how much do I kind of barricade myself and say, like, okay, I think I know enough of what people are feeling or yeah. thinking about the book. So it's strange. you know. It's, I think every author has their own way of dealing with feedback, and positive or negative, it can be kind of a surreal experience.
0: Yeah, so all of the gold children are so different and people probably react to them differently. Did you know people that inspired these characters?
1: Are they a fictional creation or an amalgamation? of all of those? They're really fictional. I think that there's always dynamics that interest me that might be pulled from things I've witnessed or experienced, whether that's a dynamic between people or a certain quality that I've noticed in myself or another. But in general, I have a really big imagination and I love making things up. And I've written a few things before this, both a novel that wasn't published and one that was that I think, tapped into, in some ways, a bit more of autobiographical content. So this one is, is really pretty much invented.
0: So along those lines, one of our students here at Mason, Carol, she's wondering, did you plot out what would happen to each of the siblings first? Or did you just kind of write and figure it out and then discover how their four lives intersected
1: and where they, they met? Yeah, a little bit of both. I tend to have a big arc in mind. So, for instance, with Clara, I don't think this will give away anything too serious, but I knew that I wanted her to wind up in Vegas, and I knew what would happen at the end of her section, but then little things would happen along the way, like her relationship with Eddie O'Donohue, the cop from Simon's section. That was something that I hadn't planned on continuing. So I try to stay open because I think that the surprise of the drafting process is one of the best parts about it. But at the same time, I try to give myself some structure so that I'm not just directionless. so did the book change
0: significantly? I mean, I know books always change from from start to when you're really ready to publish, but did this keep generally the same shape, or did you find yourself really radically revising
1: and, and changing as you as you went through? I don't think it was radical. The final section went through massive revision, so that's kind of unrecognizable in terms of the plot, but the underlying themes and various character is not all that different. She was originally working with jellyfish instead of primates, Mm -hmm. and it was set in Japan. So there were a lot of things that were different, but I think, like, her core was the same. So, but I think that the drafting process this time was more, you know, let's deepen this relationship or we need another scene with this character, that kind of thing. Now, it struck me that all
0: four sections of the book are almost the same length, Hmm. um, and they follow a very, like, there's a clean split down the middle where where things um, either take a turn for the worse or turn for the better or however you want to view it. So did you... At any time, like, think of these each section as their own little novella, like Mm. interconnected novellas, or was it really
1: one book? I always thought of it as a novel, but I did feel like having those discrete sections was really helpful for me structurally. And I did want them to feel kind of discreet somehow. Um, Writing a novel is so scary and so kind of formless, like, there's no Formula when you get going, you have to figure out what structure your book will take. And so, for me, having those four parts helped me to know like, okay, I have roughly this amount of pages per character. I have a sense of four arcs that I want to take place within this larger arc. And so, I think that kind of lent it a, a pace that was helpful. Yeah. One of the things that I really
0: loved about the book is the rich historical detail that's in every section and you you really see America change. As you're seeing the golds change, so you know you mentioned at the end of the book, and I think is the acknowledgement becoming particularly affected by research on primates. Mm-hmm. So, can you maybe talk a little bit about your research project for the the book in general, the types of things that you did to weave this
1: detail throughout? Yeah, it was really immense. Like you said, each section is set in a different time and place, and so I just kind of went section by section. The prologue takes place on the Lower East Side in the late 60s, and also kind of looks back to Eastern European immigration around the turn of the century. The second section takes place in 1980s San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Then we have a section that is in the 90s and winds up in Vegas, then the Iraq War, and then finally the primate research section. So I just kind of had to give myself tunnel vision and say like, okay, right now I'm doing this section and I'm not gonna freak out about how much research I still have. Although at a certain point I needed to know more about what was happening in the following section in order to write the previous one specifically with Clara and Simon because their lives are so intertwined. So I had to know more about magic before I could continue on writing Simon's section and her role in it. So for each of those, it was just all kinds of research materials from archival footage and documents to documentaries, memoir, academic articles, scientific studies. I tried to just take in um, as much as I had to before I felt like I was capable of fictionalizing.
0: So it sounds like there was maybe a bit of both. So did you write or try to at least draft all of one siblings at a time, except for those moments where you, like you just mentioned with Claire, like you needed to know a little bit Mm -hmm. more about
1: magic? Yeah, I pretty much wrote the book as it, Appears So went section by section. I did sometimes jump forward if a scene sounds kind of woo-woo, but you know how it is if it comes to you early, and it, but it's a scene from later in the book. And those moments are always so great because then I have something that I can look toward and work toward. And I sort of know that I can write to this scene ultimately, even if it's much further ahead. But aside from those little nuggets that I knew were waiting for me, um, it was pretty much Chronologically. Wow. What was your favorite piece of history to write? Like, mm. what was your
0: favorite section of history to dig into mm. and learn about?
1: <sighs> I really I liked a lot of it. I mean, I think that the AIDS crisis was really heartbreaking. So it's hard to say that I, I liked that, but I found it really emotional and powerful and I felt connected to it even though I'm not a gay man, like my character, I grew up with gay parents and I lived in San Francisco, so that section felt very close to my heart. I loved doing the magic research. That was more just pure fun. (laughs) Uh, That's for Clara's section, so you know that was just kind of a fascinating rabbit hole. And I also got really into the Iraq war research because when that war was happening, I wasn't, like I was a very young teen, and so, at least in the, beginning. I just wasn't conscious in the way that you are when you're taking news in as an adult. So I found that really fascinating and also very dark. Yeah. Did you go to Vegas? You know, Vegas is the only place in the book that I haven't been to. Like I've been to Kingston. Wow. I've been, you know, obviously the, the West Coast. I've been to New York. But yeah, Vegas, you know, it, it's the kind of place that you can write about without having been more easily because there's so much lore yeah, out there. Yeah. And I didn't want to just, you know, like lean on the stereotypes about Vegas, but I was able to find some really cool footage, like, even on YouTube, of people's own video cam tapes of like walking through the strip in 1990 when it was just coming up. And so I could see, like, which signs were up, which hotels had been built at that time, because when the book takes place, there's a lot of construction going on. You have the mega hotels and the, you know, huge casinos that are just starting. And so I didn't want to be writing about a place that, you know, was like you wouldn't have uh, been able to walk inside at this month in 1990. So I've heard
0: a lot of writers talk about how they keep track of all this research. Are you the type of person who just has like files on the computer, or do you have like the serial killer wall where you've connected <laughs> strings and everything? Oh, I
1: love that. I I should do that. I have computer files. I have a lot of um, like I really like having hard copies that I can write on. So like almost all of my research books are scribbled in, but then I get stressed because I'm like, oh, I don't wanna write down every single note on the computer. But having it in a compu- in like a Word document feels like it's more reliable. It's like everything's there. I know it's there. So if I have to flip through a book to find everything that I thought about a particular you know, research uh, material, then that seems really disorganized. So as you can see, it's a very stressful decision. <laughs> um, it's, so it's a little bit of a mess. I mean, uh, it's like one of those chaotic situations that somehow works. Yeah A lot of folders, a lot of books handwritten notes and probably there are things that I left out that if I looked back now I'd be like oh my god that was such an amazing (laughs) detail why didn't I remember that
0: oh my god so changing gears a little bit I want to talk about the sex in the book so Ooh. crafting well-written sex scenes is is really difficult and can be uncomfortable for writers mm-hmm. so but it's so integral to who simon is and, and his chapter mm-hmm. so i was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what goes into writing a, a good sex scene mm. and like
1: your intentions maybe with simon's section well, i'm so glad you asked that because i feel like only once on my book tour have i been asked about the sex because i think people are uncomfortable talking about it but I think that we never talk about sex in fiction and there's not a whole lot of good sex in fiction (laughs) and like usually it's just kind of omitted or alluded to and I think that's so silly because you could say oh well you know that's really intimate but we're writing about like the deep innards of a character's mind which is just as intimate so why wouldn't we write about that and you're right in Simon's section you know he's a young gay man who's discovering his sexuality and has never been able to before and he's moving to the Castro in San Francisco which is such a you know momentous time in the gay community and a place where others were doing the same kind of exploration so it felt like it had to be in there and that I expected that to be a little controversial and it has been I've definitely seen people say that like they just didn't want to keep reading the book after they read that content and for me like if that's going to make you close the book like that's yeah kind of sad I mean, that sounds snide and I don't mean it like that, but it's not like, the thing is that the sex in the book is loving. It's not abusive, it's not assault. And so for this to be what makes somebody recoil, as opposed to saying, you know, I I don't want to read a thriller that has like an act of violence, Mm -hmm. just because it's two men,
0: that makes me sad. Yeah, so did you have beta readers for this scene? Say, I don't know, like how do you how do you test it out and decide, yeah, this is this is how I want the scene. This is
1: this is what's working. I I definitely talked to gay men, friends of mine, about sort of the dynamics that go into um, sex, but I also kind of feel like sex is sex, love is love, like it wasn't all that difficult to write about two people of the same sex being together as opposed to yeah. two people of the opposite sex. Like, it's not like it's super, you know, not to get, like, too graphic, but, like, you know <laughs> what I, it's, it's not like it's completely alien yeah. or unimaginable. I feel really proud of the sex scenes. Like, I really like them, and I, and, and I don't feel like they were that difficult to write. So your advice is, writers, just, just write. Just lean into it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, write about sex like you would write about anything else. And, and I mean, if the story, if the story merits it, I certainly think that there can be kind of a, like a shock value element to writing explicit scenes. And I know that mine are very explicit, but um, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's arbitrary to cut that out of a book when you would put in so much other intimate content. Yeah. So we're almost out of time. So my last question
0: for you is this is totally different. Okay, cool. If you could sit down to dinner with any writer, living or dead, Mm. who would it be?
1: Um... mm. Well, I don't know how it would go, but uh, Alice Monroe is my favorite writer of all time, and she's so private, so there's not a lot out there in terms of interviews. So I get the sense that she's reserved. I don't know if if we would, um, like, if she would want to be there having dinner with me, but I think I would say her. Maybe tea at least. Maybe tea (laughs)
0: Yes (laughs) All right. well thank you so much Chloe Benjamin is the author of The Immortalist You should absolutely check it out now Share it with all your friends And thank you so much for coming Thank you this was so much fun And this is Susie from Fall for the Book Find out more information about the festival At fallforthebook.org You've been listening to Mason Out Loud A podcast featuring the best Of Mason's creative community If you like this podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes and tell your friends. This podcast is a production of the Department of English at George Mason University. If you would like to know more about our outstanding programs, check us out at english.gmu.edu. Our audio engineer
1: is Lisa Short.
0: Our executive producer is Deborah latanzi Shooting. Music by Sean Pfluger.
1: This is Andrew Hurley for Mason Out Loud.